This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. It's time to break the silence and open up the dialogue around the topics of miscarriage and baby loss. No more shame. No more taboo. Let's ditch it for the sake of our children. The ones who are, the ones who will come. And in memory of the ones who never came to be. This is the Worst Girl Gang Ever podcast. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Worst Girl Gang Ever. Today we are joined in the virtual studio by Rhea Clark, who is also known as the Doctor Mummy. Welcome, Thank Rhea. Thank you very much for having me. I love that you waved as well when Laura introduced you. It you was waved. more like jazz hands, wasn't it? I just, it was jazz hands. Exactly. Um, so, Ria, thank you so much for joining us. I know it's been a long time coming, this podcast recording, hasn't it? Um, yeah, it really has. I first messaged you when, gosh, a couple of years ago now, when I was going through one of my miscarriages and I was feeling really awful and just thought, what am I going to do? What am I going to do to make this less rubbish for other people? Yeah. Isn't it amazing how it's funny you should use those exact words because we have used those exact words in the in the past, like, it's funny how you just want to, you, you go through that pain yourself and you just want to make it a bit less shit for someone else. Yeah. And it, like the, for me, trying to do that has been what the whole girl gang has been about. It's just trying to make it a bit less rubbish mm. for someone else. So yeah, tell us what, yeah. Tell us how you've been trying to make things a bit less rubbish for other people. So I think it's important to recognise that I'm not this altruistic angel who's doing this all out of the goodness of my heart. Of course, I'm doing it because I want to, but I'm doing it because it's helping me too. Mm. Um, so, yeah, one of the things I did was message you way back when. And I also messaged Tommy's, mm -hmm. um, the charity involved in research for baby loss and talking about it because... I wanted people to to understand that I was going through something painful and that this idea that because I'm a bit of a big mouth that I don't feel things and that I'm not emotional. Um, yeah, I, want, I wanted to push back against that. I, I wanted to reduce the stigma, especially for black and brown women who get so many negative messages about their bodies and about the risks that they have just by existing mm. um, so I just I just wanted to to lift people up and I, I can't change the statistics by myself but it's I guess it's about making people feel seen and and listening yeah exactly um I, I read something quite interesting about you recently in relation to Tommy's um, oh, that years ago <laughs> many many years ago you decided that you wanted to work with Tommy's. 
Yeah, it's so random. So my sister was 30 last year and last year was the 30th anniversary of Tommy's being created. And she was born at St Thomas's Hospital in London. And I can remember really vividly standing on labour ward when my mum was having contractions because I remember her squeezing my hand and me crying. But um, I said to my mum, I'm going to I'm going to work here one day and I'm going to work with that charity. I didn't even understand what they did. I just saw the logo and I thought that looks nice. Um, and it she was different then, wasn't it? The logo yeah, it was, was different. It was completely different. But I just remember I had I had this really strong feeling that I'm going to do something with them one day. And I didn't know in what capacity. Obviously, I was seven years old. Um, <laughs> so for it to go full circle and me be working with Tommy's was such a surreal moment. But and, you know, also really nice to be able to manifest that, although I would have rather not had the experiences I've had. What an awesome yeah. way to channel it. Yeah. So you're you're an ambassador for them now I am an ambassador yeah it feels it's such an honor to be asked I really had to when I was asked I really had to question and go what have I done to be deserving of being an ambassador other than mouthing off I'm out of <laughs> um but it's it's really lovely because I, I respect what Tommy's do and what I love about being involved in Tommy's is that I get to combine my lived experience with my professional role mm-hmm. yeah you know that's that's fantastic what I wanted to do were not things that were social media worthy that were Instagram worthy I wanted to do things that if nobody could see them they would still have meaning yeah Mm. yeah definitely so what does being an ambassador involve what do you do well Tom is a fantastic in that they've let they've let us kind of mold it to some extent but um Things like being able to be involved in the strategy building and give feedback about that. They're just launching the strategy for their 10-year plan now. Mm-hmm. Um, and being invited to um, Parliament to discuss initiatives to reduce baby loss or raise awareness. But also to spread the word about what Tommies do and um, how far-reaching the work that they do is and making it more representative you know, I still think, and Tommy's would admit themselves that they've got more work to do to make it more representative. But hopefully, people like me being part of it and giving that feedback and making people feel welcome to learn more about it is a step in the right direction. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. A lot has happened um, in the last sort of five to ten years, making these charities and these spaces a lot more inclusive but you're right there still is work to be done yeah it's amazing to see how far it's come it is it's great to see that we're talking about it it's not the elephant in the room mm. um, and I would never want it to be tokenistic yeah um, I know I'm still critical I'm still as much as I love being involved in it's an honor there's also sometimes a respect to and there can be an image of baby loss that's advertised or projected. And I, I use that those descriptions about myself as well. Yes, I'm a black woman who's an obstetrician and gynecologist in training, and that that's great. But I'm also fairly boring sounding. I'm I might fit a certain mould. And so what I want to encourage everyone to do is to think about 
whose voices are we uplifting? And more importantly, whose voices are we not hearing? Mm. Because there are still communities whose voices aren't heard and people that we're not reaching and they're not hard to reach. That, that phrase is often thrown about. It's just we're not doing it in the right way. Mm-hmm. And so if that means that I need to step aside so that somebody with less privilege steps up and gets the care or the experiences that they need, then so be it. Mm. It's, I think it's really difficult, isn't it? Because the we were talking uh, uh, on a podcast we, uh, we, we recorded recently about the institutionalised racism. And I think it's really difficult to get people to stand up and put their head above the parapet when they've been squashed by this institutionalised racism. Like, how do we give these people the confidence to stand up and talk when they know that for decades, for, for forever, they haven't been listened to and their their voices haven't been heard? Like, how do we bolster their confidence enough to to so that they want to step forward and do that? Yeah, it's it's really hard if you've had decades and then if we go back, you know, thinking about it, centuries of bodies being abused, being made to feel less than. And then all of a sudden people going, oh, okay, this is bad. Let's ask you lots of trauma, traumatizing questions. Yeah. Yeah. So that we can fix it. And and people are going quite quite rightly. Why should we trust you? Mm. What are you? This this stuff isn't new. These stats aren't new. We found new ways of talking about it. Um, I think social media's had a big part to play in that, which is great. But let's not pretend that these stats have suddenly come out of nowhere and everybody's shocked by them because they were there 20 years ago. It's just that people didn't care as much. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's really important to understand why people may be reticent to share and to be enthusiastic about the fact that a section of the population suddenly has woken up and wants to talk about it because we were always talking about it. It's just that people weren't listening. Mm. Yeah. So it's, it's not going to happen straight away. And it also needs to happen when we talk about institutionalized racism in any form, the change needs to come from the people who are causing the harm. So asking Absolutely. the people who are being harmed how to fix it is yeah it's putting the responsibility on them and yeah, it shouldn't not, be their responsibility yeah. should Absolutely. It? so of course you of course we need to be involved and we need to be at the forefront of it but if you're just asking me and there's no commitment to change like at the moment we don't have a target for reducing the mortality in the black and brown community for those in the maternity system so why are you asking me about the racism I've experienced if you're not, you don't even have a target, you haven't put any extra money into funding a change. And the solution seems to be the NHS plan and continuity of carer. Now, don't get me wrong, continuity of carer is great and it's really important. And I experienced it in my last pregnancy and the difference it made was phenomenal, but that was because it was the right person who had the right training. Continuity of carer, if that person isn't right and they're not trained adequately, could be disastrous. You are so, so right. You know, I work in healthcare and people, uh, stuff happens, people make complaints and, and, and like wards get a bad name or a bad reputation, for example. But it is just your experience, how you get on, 
going through a certain procedure or a certain illness is all down to that person that's looking after you because yeah if they're if if they get it wrong then that's it the whole experience is ruined yeah you know and and even if you know all the medicine even if you know all the stats if you're not seeing that person in front of you and what their individual needs are then you're not providing the best care so I think part of changing that racism and those stats is being able to really look at our own biases and think what influences me what triggers me what thoughts and feelings do I have that are potentially harmful do I need to change Mm. because when we talk about racism people get very anxious and get very defensive because they think I work in the NHS I could earn more money somewhere else I really care about people I turn up and there's not enough staff and Mm work all the hours I don't get paid as well as I should and now you're telling me I'm racist yeah that's that can feel like a hard pill for people to swallow but at the same time for those vulnerable people going through the healthcare system who do experience racism we know the difference that compassionate care makes that um, person-centered care makes that is culturally safe Mm mm-hmm so it's just about one empowering staff empowering us to challenge the system and hold the people with the purse strings accountable Mm. yeah but i think with all these things it's doing it in a in a kind way to because it's often i i believe this racism is not is so unconscious right that people don't know that they're doing it they they've grown up that's what they know that's what they do and they've never questioned it so it's opening people's eyes to that but in a really kind of safe way so it doesn't put people on the defense so it doesn't make it's not accusatory and it's sort of explore just if we could just explore everything all cultures all the way the world works and then come at everything from a completely neutral standpoint to make the best for everything i mean that's that's what would that would be the winning thing right that would be the best possible outcome of all this stuff yeah i think it's always a difficult balance because what we don't want to do is shame people because people don't learn through shame they shut down and they cling on to their bias and their way of being because it's what they've always known and change is scary Mm -hmm. so i'm very there for calling people in in some situations rather than calling people out because you want to you want to bring people into the fold but I'm also very clear that I will not coddle lots of fragility so as a person who experiences racism I will be supportive to people wanting to learn but I'm not going to harm myself falling over myself to be kind to someone who has fixed ideas, who doesn't want to learn, who is who does have racist ideas and isn't willing to accept that. Yeah. Because a boundary that I put in place for myself and for people who are vulnerable is that if there is a power imbalance, then that needs to be addressed too. 
And that's like that's essentially what we talk about a lot within this community is that there are people who have such a strong opinion of what you should share and what you shouldn't share, you know, speaking specifically about loss. Yes. And that they they strongly believe that you should not be sharing such details about your personal life. They're the ones that you almost have to cut out of your life because Mm -hmm. or cut out of that that area of your life because they will never change. And you could you could make yourself ill, couldn't you? by trying to change someone's opinions and ideas when you just can't, we we don't have that control over anyone else, do we? So we just have to do what we can for those who are open enough and open-minded enough to be able to listen and, and willing to educate themselves further. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it's so important to, to know that boundary and to be willing to enforce that boundary. I think the difficulty that we have in an area like healthcare is that there are people working within it who have conscious views that are racist and are in positions of power because as a patient, that power balance imbalance is always there. And so whilst in my personal life, I can cut someone off if they say something stupid about loss. And unfortunately, I have had to do that when people have been insensitive. It's much harder in a clinical environment where you can't just boot those people out and they have a responsibility to care for those people. They have a duty of care. Mm. And that means they have a responsibility to be open to questioning their biases, even if it is harmful. So how you do that is a really delicate balance, but we have to remember who we're doing it for and who is at the center of that. And that is a community who have been continually wronged rather than an individual who feels hurt that they're, their position is feels unstable. I can sympathise to an extent, but ultimately people are dying and that needs to change. And that's what I'm here for. Yeah, Does there is there any specific training um, in like OBS and Gynae for, for this? You know, that you say people are dying. That's, mm. We chatted to um, the Five Times More Girls um, at the Glow Mama Awards and they, so they're called five times more because when they first set it up, five times more black women were dying during yeah. childbirth than their white counterparts. I think now it's 3.6, which is still shocking. But all the campaigning and work that they've been doing seems to be um, helping and, and, and making a change. But I mean, it's, so it's still shocking. And. Is there any extra training about it? Any Anything to help you in your professional life or help others in their professional life to stop this from happening? So things are changing, definitely. The um, RCOG, the Royal College of Obs and Gynae, who are the college that are responsible for my training, have established a race equality task force that has different streams. And one of the streams is... Um, looking at exactly this, at the racial inequalities in obstetrics and gynaecology. Um, so that's that's fantastic that the college are leading on that mm. because I want the people that train me to accept that racism is an issue and to think about how to train the next generation of doctors so that we can be part of that change. Um, and and so that's that's really good. Do we... 
do we embed that within everything we do? Not yet. It is happening. So something that they're doing is looking at the clinical guidelines that we use to help us make decisions and looking at examples of where either race isn't mentioned and needs to be or where um, we could do more work to make sure it's more inclusive. Mm -hmm. And individual hospital trusts are doing that as well not always getting the balance right. And we've seen institutions like NICE who have suggested things like offering black and brown women induction at 39 weeks as a blanket idea to reduce um, infant mortality and not thinking about the nuances of what that means for reducing choice for those women and birthing people. So yes, things are starting to happen and conversations are starting to happen. Um, I guess these things take time, but I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm trying to learn from the people that have gone before me that have said, you know, I was doing this in the seventies and we've still got a way to go. Yeah. But I'm also, you know, we're here talking about it and that's, and that's a positive thing. And hope, hopefully people that are listening, I know how many people work in the NHS and other um, organisations that provide care. And if we're planting seeds so that people are starting to ask questions. Yeah. Then great. Yeah. So the warriorship, we wanted to come and tell you a little bit about it, didn't we, Bex? And in case you're already going, why? We don't want to know about a fucking ship. The Warriorship is our online membership for warriors in this community. It's packed full of stuff. So we just want to tell you about some of the stuff. All of the content from all of the courses that we ever run is in the Warriorship. So there's loads to get your teeth into. And we are also developing modules for what happens after. But not only that, we've also got a ton of educational workshops running once a month in the coming months we have got body positivity workshop gratitude workshop and loads 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 more and on top of that we also have a resident mental health specialist and on top of that if if that wasn't enough there's 13 events every month and there's stuff popping up all the time as well that other people are organizing that you can be a part of so it really is thriving and all you have to do is head to the link in our bio or visit our website and you can be a part of this too we'd love to see you there i think the um i I can't oh it was ted lasso i've been watching ted lasso people uh (laughs) and he did this whole speech about about being curious and i think that's what we need to encourage isn't it it's curiosity because if we're encouraging curiosity and people are asking the questions then they're going to get the answers and 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 pass that on and Mm. that's all it is that the kind of if we can encourage more people to be curious, we're going to get more answers and more people will be aware of what is going on. Because if we just go through life just in our in our own lane, thinking about what's going on in our, you know, universe, the chart, the, like I always think about this is so social media, you're surrounded by people like you, aren't you? Absolutely. You're in your own hemisphere. And so everything that you see tends to be stuff that you agree with and I thought this so much when um Brexit happened because Mm -hmm. I was on social media and I was like what the actual fuck is happening (laughs) when we got the the result I was like who is voted who who (laughs) these people are voted how can there be because everyone in my world yeah 
We were on the same page. I remember being really shocked that Labour didn't get in at the last election because my Instagram was was all <laughs> Labour. It's like yeah. who voted for the Tories? <laughs> exactly, and that's exactly what I mean. We we're all surrounded by our own ideas and opinions, really, mm. to a degree. And I think yeah. that it 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 social media is brilliant in so many ways, but in that way, it it turns us inward because we don't often look for what's outside of our bubble. Yeah. And I think that's what we need to do is we all need to start realising that there's shit going on all the time that we could help change if we knew yeah. it was happening. And lots and lots of people would want to do that if they knew it was happening. It's just about being curious as to what's going on. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we, we do create echo chambers. And part of that is it's reassuring. You know, it's nice to live in a world mm. where people think like you and you don't have to question um, where people are coming from. I am quite, I describe myself as an unprofessional agitator. <laughs> and so I'm, I go out of my way to, to listen to and follow views that are the opposite to mine. And I don't know why, because I'm so argumentative anyway. I don't really need any encouragement. <laughs> but for example, I listen, to, I listen to LBC when I'm in the car. And there are very few LBC presenters that align with my views. But it's really good to know how other people think mm. because part of my part of my liberalism and being tolerant is sometimes being quite intolerant to people that don't think like me yeah, <laughs> yeah. and so understanding where or I'm working towards understanding <laughs> hearing where other people are coming from is really important to challenge challenge my own biases because they do exist um, I think another thing people think is oh because because you're black you are the savior and you will make everything better and that's that's nice but I'm also an individual that has been trained in a system that does have racist ideas sometimes mm. so I am also culpable I'm also part of that and I have to hold myself up and challenge myself I think that's that's really important for people not to assume that everything is okay if you have a black or a brown healthcare professional. Of course, it doesn't mean that they're going to be harmful, but don't just assume that somebody being a different colour means that they can't have ideas that are harmful mm. because the system is harmful. Yes. And, this, and we have one system yeah. that trains everybody. Which is which is why we need to we need to change that system. But yeah. curiosity, yeah, is 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 vital. It's the, the systemic problem is 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 the problem, isn't it? And it's just about completely restructuring it, you know, taking it apart. In fact, what did we say about what was our original intro to this podcast, Laura? It's time we da, 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 dismantled it and rebuilt it in a way to you know, you get get the you get the picture. Rather than isolate and shame them. Yeah. Welcome to the worst girl gang ever. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah. can't remember. We need to dismantle it and have a look at everything and then yeah. put it back together in an inclusive way, right? Yeah, but we have to be honest with ourselves and recognise that that's not, one, that's not easy, and two, it's painful. It is painful. Mm. It's painful. If you are serious about doing this work, it can be uncomfortable, it can be really challenging, and it can make you look at yourself sometimes and go oh that's that really I don't like that about myself or this just feels mm. 
And at a time when there's so much else going on, you know, there's a cost of living crisis and the sun has pissed off forever, it feels like. (laughs) I can hear like the rain is hitting the window as we Mm -hmm. speak. It's just, it's rude, it's May, come on. But, you know, there's so many other things going on. So sometimes it can be easy to think, well, why do I have to do this as well? I'm already doing everything else. I'm a good person. Can you not just take my word for it? Yeah. Um, And yeah, cool. I'm sure you are a wonderful person. And I really sympathise because life is a lot right now. But if you're someone who is from an enslaved community in the past or a person that experiences racial discrimination, then you've got all that going on and racism. And no sun. And And the cost of living crisis. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. 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 Um, Ria, tell us a little bit about your professional work. So most people who are listening will have come into contact with one of the Obsangaini team um, throughout their journey. But just tell us, how do you, what do you do when you're looking after um, people going through miscarriage and later baby loss? What's your role in all of that? So, as an obstetrician and gynaecologist, I will see people within the hospital setting. So I'll be I'll be someone that sees people when they come into A and E if they've got pain or bleeding in pregnancy in early pregnancy, um, diagnosing things like threatened miscarriages, referring people for scans to rule out ectopics, and going to theatre if that's necessary. Um, supporting people through things like molar pregnancies um, and infertility and then further along the line um, up on labour ward supporting people who have losses at later gestations as well Um, really the whole the whole spectrum of loss trying to conceive um, and loss across the whole pregnancy journey is what I'm involved in in my role Do you find it, um, or have you found it in the past, quite difficult navigating your own experiences while looking after people going through theirs? The thing I found really interesting about going through recurrent loss and um, secondary infertility whilst I was working was, I mean, don't get me wrong, yes, some days it was really difficult, but I found it much harder to exist around friends Mm. than I did at work and whether that was just because I was able to compartmentalize and become work me and home me I don't know but I and I also realized at work that even when I was supporting someone for a successful pregnancy so many people have had losses in the past it's really easy to look at someone who's pregnant and go "Mm, it's all right for you yeah (laughs) but actually have a quick look at their history And, you know, of course, not everybody has that. My first pregnancy, we went on our honeymoon and thought, shall we have a baby? And I got pregnant and we had a baby. And that's Mm. that's a massive oversimplification. But um, I just, yeah, I coped. I, for the most part, I coped okay at work. I really struggled at home. I really struggled. Why? Because I was jealous. Mm Mm-hmm. I didn't want it instead of them, but I wanted it as well as them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also because home then wasn't didn't feel like my safe space because 
I'm of an age where people are having kids. And my job means that people who I love who are having kids want to talk to me about the fact that they're having kids. And when they're going through their pregnancies and they need help, they want to come to me. Yeah. And I love that for the most part. And it makes me feel it makes me feel like I can support them through something apart from when I don't want to because I want to run away and hide and I don't want to be that person. And that balance mm. was, you know, that balance was really hard to strike. Were you able to put up those boundaries with some of the people in your home life or did you sort of put on a game face and and carry on supporting them? I did both. Mm. Depending, Depending on who they were. Depending on who they were and our previous relationship and how much I wanted that relationship to continue. Yeah, gotcha. So if someone, if it was someone that was really close to me and I felt quite raw, then I would explain why. And it was, for the most part, it was taken really well. You know, I I had to, um, two of my closest friends two of my bridesmaids were pregnant at the same time as me and they both ended up having successful pregnancies and mine ended and my one of my best friends was due and having her baby the week that I would have had mine oh that's hard and I said to her I was also there when she had her first I was her birth partner so long intertwined history and I sent her a whatsapp and I said I will be there for you and I'll hold your hand through this as much as you need but there might be times where I don't answer and and that's because of this and she you know she took it really well and in the end I was able to support her through it and I didn't need to step back but I did I did feel it you know and that was that was really hard but then the flip side of that is that my other best friend who was pregnant her way of protecting me was not to tell me that she was pregnant. And because of lockdown, we didn't see each other, so even though we talked a lot. Oh, God. And she called me one day when she was in the third trimester and said, I've got something to tell you. And I just knew. I just knew she was pregnant. But when she told me how pregnant she was, I was absolutely devastated mm. because she hadn't told me yeah. and because I wanted to be there for her. And the thought that she'd gone through that much of her pregnancy without me really hurt, ironically. Yeah. Oh, God, it's so hard, isn't it? Yeah. And she, you know, she was doing her best. What she was doing with that was putting her arms around me and going, I'm trying to look after you because I know how hard this is. And I'm going, thank you. But I didn't want it like that. Yeah. That really hurts that you didn't tell me that you didn't share it with me. it's yeah. so difficult because we've like me and Laura we've had that recently haven't we where I can't even remember what it was about but I hadn't told you something because you were in a sort of not a great place and I was like oh, I was trying to help you and you were like oh it's not your job it's my job I just want to be told stuff and and it is really difficult and I can so see it from both perspectives yeah. like we're adults like we need to be able to be take on news and deal with it however we choose to deal with it Mm. but in the same way when you're so worried about someone that you care about and their their mental well-being I suppose you don't like you just do what you think is right and sometimes that is is the wrong thing it's it's really hard and she's such a she's such a good friend of mine and she knows me so well and she 
I think part of it is that she knows that people have this idea that I am really strong and that I shoulder a lot of things. Mm. And so she was going, I'm going to protect you. Yeah. Because people don't always do that for you. Yeah. And so that was, it came from a place of love. And that was really special that she did that. But I didn't want it to be ever at the expense of her. Mm. Yeah. And then that Sorry, go on. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I remember one of my friends, a very close friend, announcing her pregnancy to me um, and felt like she, because of everything that I'd been through, that she wanted to sort of honour that and tell me face to face. (laughs) (laughs) On a night out, we were um, in a, yeah, in this big restaurant and there was about 30 of us drinking Aperol spritz and she sat me down at the end of the table and told me and, yeah, oh. bless her. She really thought she was doing the right thing. Oh, goodness. That's so awful. I can just, oh. Had about I, 12 I, more Aperol spritzes, I have to say. I'm, I am not surprised. <laughs> yeah, I went back to work after one of my miscarriages. And um, it was a, it was a night shift. And I, I'm not great with nights at the best of times. But um, I walked into a room and someone someone said, oh, guess what? go on, tell her. And the person went, I'm pregnant. And it was about four o'clock in the morning. And I just went, huh. I managed to get out the congratulations. Yeah. Before I walked out the room. And I'd like to think I didn't just get up and walk out, but I can't be sure because I can't really remember. (laughs) Yeah. But those, those moments that, that catch you off guard are, are really hard and I think people assume that you don't have those moments anymore if you come out of the other side with a quote-unquote rainbow baby yeah but I you know I still do and that and then I feel guilty about that but it's still yeah it's still there and that's why it's so important to talk about these feelings because because it's hard Mm. I still have those moments and like at work at the hospital one of my pet hates is someone saying, oh, don't sit there. That's that's the chair. You get pregnant if you sit there. <laughs> yeah, chance would be a fine thing. <laughs> yeah. It's, there's so many offhand comments that, that I, I'm sure they happened for years and I just never heard them. And then having gone through... I probably it, said them myself. Yeah. That, that's the worry. Yeah, it's such a tricky situation, isn't it? Because you don't want to piss on anyone's parade either you know everyone's entitled to their own joy when that yeah and like you said Ria we don't see people's medical notes when they announce their pregnancies to us we actually don't know what they've been through they could have had a tough time as well but we just assume that everyone gets pregnant on their honeymoon (laughs) don't we yeah, exactly. And even if, you know, even if they do, good. Sure, we want that for everyone. I want mm. everyone to have the kind of pregnancy that they deserve and not to struggle getting pregnant. And it's never, it's never about wanting people to have a bad time. It's, it's just, it's that pang that you get when you hear a pregnancy announcement, even of a random celebrity that I don't know, you know, and you, you look at the age gap and you go, oh, all right for them then. They, they managed to do pretty quickly. And, you know, Rihanna going and doing the um, Super Bowl, turning up with her pregnant belly. How dare she? She got, she got a baby. She really <laughs> had another baby. Like, you know, it's... How rude. 
<laughs> it's rude. And I'm, I'm being facetious, but it, it's those little things when you when you see a pregnancy announcement that a, a good friend of mine described it as, you know, when you do an exam and you fail and then you pass next time, you don't think about the time you failed. Mm. But you don't you don't forget about the pregnancies that went before just because you've come through the other side no. and we're not, we're not all through the other side you know the the other side of grief isn't being given a baby no so true um mm. Ria we've not got much time left but just before we go I wondered if you could um tell us a little bit about um when people are in early pregnancy and are bleeding at home they're often unsure what to do who to call whether to go to A&E EPU have you got any advice for those sort of situations so we'll caveat that with saying that I can't I can't give medical advice in this environment just because it's superficial and I don't know anything about people's stories and backgrounds but generally if you're ever concerned about bleeding I would always want people to seek help. Mm. I I can't think of an example where someone was at home bleeding in pregnancy and was worried about it, where I would say, no, I want you to stay at home. I don't want you to ask anybody. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's it's thinking about who who is available. If it's the middle of the night and you're bleeding very heavily, then that's an emergency and you need to go to A&E. Yeah. If, you're bleeding less and it's the middle of the day can you contact the early pregnancy unit there are some places that have um, self-referrals to early pregnancy units there are some places where you have to go through your GP Um, there are so many causes for bleeding in early pregnancy and it doesn't always mean the worst case scenario but I would always advise somebody to get checked because you can't get an answer unless you know And one thing that I know I experienced during my pregnancies is that for me, often the worst part was that limbo, that Mm. not knowing and not being able to call it either way. Obviously the grief of loss was awful and overwhelming, but I had, there's a special place in hell for that limbo. Yeah. Right. Definitely. Definitely. Oh, Ria, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a really, really interesting episode of, found everything that we've been talking about so fascinating so thank you and uh, keep up what you're doing we're really looking forward to um, reading more about what you've been up to with Tommy's in the future thank you so much for having me and yeah I wanted to be on this for ages I can remember doing my power walks in the morning two years ago um, listening to your podcast and yeah thank you for everything you do it's been a pleasure to have you keep in touch won't you will do Fabulous. All right. Thanks so much, Ria. Enjoy um, the rest of your day. Hopefully the sun comes out. It's just not yeah. coming out. It's, yeah, it's, it's really not nice tomorrow. Even... Oh, well, there we go. Enjoy tomorrow. <laughs> sunny tomorrow. Bring on tomorrow. Bring on tomorrow. <laughs> Tomorrow's a new day. Absolutely. Fabulous. Bye. All right. Bye. All the Thank best. You. See you. Bye. Bye.